And I ask it in the name of your resurrected son, Jesus Christ, and all those who would agree would say, amen, amen. amen. If you would please take a seat. Thank you. The worship has been tremendous already. Amen? Amen. amen. If, you, if you haven't been in, encouraged today, and the reason the church gathers is to be encouraged in our faith. If you haven't been encouraged already, then, then you just showed up. I was lost in every one of those songs, and I, I, I sing my own words. And my wife is with me. You may laugh, but she'll nudge me, and she'll say, they put the words on the screen. And I said, I'm singing to the Lord from my heart. How about you? <laughs> Our passage of Scripture, and there's going to be a lot of them, is going to begin in Hebrews chapter 5. I'm going to draw this morning a thread all the way back to the Old Testament where God's people of old learned a valuable lesson on how God works in transforming them. We're going to draw that thread all the way up until today in the Word of God because here's what I know. While I would like to, to, to say I learn because I desire to learn, the truth of the matter is I tend to learn more about faith in the places of my life where I suffer in the places of my life where I hurt, in the places that are hard. And what I want you to hear me say today is, I know you're going to play mind games with yourself and say, well, did I put myself in this hardship or did God lead me in the hardship? What you're going to hear me say today is, if you are a man of, if you're a, if you're a woman of faith, if you're living by your faith and trust in God, if you'll, if you'll make this connection, what you're going to hear me say today is, I believe that biblically, what God does is he is teaching you through the hardship you are in now, the hardship you have been in, and the hardship you will be in in the future. But he is, he is able to teach you in this way. And he does this specific to each one of us. You will not go through what I will go through. We will go through some things which are similar. And there will be husbands and wives who will go through different battles. But what I want you to hear me say today is God loves you so much as his son and daughter that he is going to teach you through that hardship. Amen. I was thinking about the songs that we sang this morning. The last song that we sang, the one verse that caught my mind was, I found a love greater than life itself. I agree with that. And yet here's the reality in my own life is that I do church on Sunday better than I do church on Monday when things are hard at the office. And the question is, at that moment, have I, do I remind myself that I have found a love greater than life itself? And I went back to Psalm 100, Elaine, that you opened up with. Bishop, thank you for the opportunity to break the word. But in Psalm 100, you read, Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful song. And I, I agree that we should gather together on a Sunday or, and, and, and to be encouraged and to fellowship. But the question comes when I read the psalm, Do I worship the Lord in gladness and come before him with joyful songs in the times when I'm hurting? Because unless I worship him with my life, then what I do in here is meaningless. We come together bringing the worship that we were living out there. And, and from today, I hope that what you'll gather is, yes, uh, continue with verse, uh, Psalm 100. Know that the Lord is God. 
It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And what I want you to hear is God is at work in your life, in the details of your life. Okay, we're going to start in Hebrews chapter 5. And by the way, this is not true. I'm going to have the privilege of meeting with your elders and your bishop following the service today. This, what we're, the message we're talking about, hardship and suffering, how God works, is not true just on an individual level. I have watched as he has worked in congregations of people together. See, congregations don't like change and hurt and hardship either. We want it all to be easy. But if we will trust that God is at work, and keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ and on, on winning the lost to Christ, then, then watch what God does through our hardship. Okay. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and with tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent Submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. I thought Jesus was just born obedient. Get your mind around this. And once made perfect... He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. That's what we've been singing about today. And was designated by God to be the high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We walk through this carefully. During the days of, uh, of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions to his loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. He was heard. And yet when I think about the life of Jesus Christ, I, th I think about the Garden of Gethsemane. When Jesus prayed, Father, I know that with you nothing is impossible. I'm asking that this cup that be, be removed from me, but not my will, your will be done. And yet, and yet, God's will was not that he would answer Jesus' prayer as he prayed it, but that he would answer his prayer through the cross and finally the resurrection. And yet the Bible says that he, with loud cries and, and prayers, sent him up to God. I, I think of Jesus on the cross. He says in Matthew 25 that Jesus cried out in a loud voice. And very seldom do you ever read about Jesus in a loud voice. That's just reserved for us preachers. But Jesus, when he cried out in a loud voice, said, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, when which is translated, says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Have you ever felt forsaken by God? And in the same instant believed, while someone else may get their prayers through to the, to, to the mighty one, he has ignored my prayers. And the reason he has ignored my prayers is because here I am suffering. Here I am crucified. Here I am in hardship. And yet, the Bible says that when he gave up loud cries and prayers, God heard him because of his reverent submission. And then the Bible says just a few verses later in Matthew 27, and he cried out one more time in a loud voice. We learn from Luke chapter 23 or 24 that what he yelled out was, my God, into your hands I commit my spirit. Yeah. 
the submission went all the way to death. And this is the challenging part for me. As I live my life, I get the sense that if I do everything right, I will never suffer. And yet, in my short life, I have learned that is not true. Now, I have also learned that there are some choices that I can make that will lead to further suffering in my life. I ought to stop making those choices, and I ought to start making better choices. Because as long as I make bad choices, I'm going to suffer because of the choices. But I've also learned that I can do everything right. And I can still find myself in hardship, in suffering. And it's in those moments where I cry out to God. And I think God is not hearing me. The Bible says he heard his son. Now, how did Jesus do it? Well, we learn from Hebrews chapter 12 about verse 3 or 4. You can read your Bible. It's in there. It says, for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the shame and the scorn of the cross. Jesus had his eyes set beyond the hardship, beyond the suffering. Does anybody relate to this? As long as you're looking at the hardship, it's real. But the Bible says that Jesus looked for the joy set before him. He looked beyond the cross itself to the joy of the resurrection, and he endured the cross. Listen, what you're not going to hear me say today is, if you'll just have happy thoughts, your suffering won't hurt as much. Suffering is called suffering because it's suffering. <laughs> they taught me in Taekwondo how to break boards with my hands. When I achieved the black belt, they, they, they said, you need to go through this concrete block with your hand, and they taught me how to do that. When I achieved the second degree black belt, they said, I want you to put your foot through two concrete blocks. You say, is this for real? This is for real. The, the, what they teach you is the barrier in front of you is real. If you hit and aim for only the concrete, it will crush your hand. But if you aim beyond, you will go through the, the barrier. You will fill the barrier, but it will break. Satan came along and held a barrier in front of Jesus Christ. It was called the cross. Jesus, for the joy set beyond the cross, endured the scorn and the shame of the cross. Have you ever felt like when you're in suffering, I don't look very spiritual because I'm in hardship and I'm suffering. I don't have all my answers. Wrong focus. Focus ought to be beyond it. Our hope is not in circumstances. Our hope is in God in heaven. Now, trying to set this up. The good news is, I was talking to Bishop. He said, I said, how, how, long, how long should I preach? He said, well, I preach an hour. I said, this church is going to hire me when I'm done. <laughs> Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And in my very humble moments, I realized that, that we can never be too important for ourselves that we think we're better than or greater than the Son of God. He learned obedience from what he suffered. I'm going to tell you guys, 
I believe that God's people for all of time have learned obedience from what we've suffered all the way to the end. Now, some of you are dealing with things that are life-threatening. The question is, do we trust him now? Some of you are dealing with some things that are temporary. It could be a job loss. It could be, not, it could be, it could be even a child that, that's gone off away from the Lord. The question is, are you going to trust him now? Are you, going to, are you going to be able to see beyond that? Some people face difficulties in marriages and difficulties in relationship, uh, other relationships. And the question is, am, am I going to see beyond that to, to the cross, beyond the cross? Am I going to be able to keep my focus on Jesus Christ? The Bible says he learned obedience from what was suffered. But then it says once made perfect. The only way to maturity or perfection is through the door of suffering. I wish it were different, but it's not. There's not one of us who has been a parent and those of us who have had mothers and fathers who have loved us who don't understand this. Sometimes the hardship is brought on to us by our parents. It's not because we did anything. Let me, let me share with you. When you have a child, you say, I'd like for you to clean your room. That child believes that hardship of the world has been laid upon them. <laughs> they don't see how they believe that you are crucifying them once again. That you're the meanest parent in the world. Yeah, look around at your parents. I mean, look, look around at your children. Listen to this preacher. But you say, but you say, clean your room. I'd like for you to go out and mow the yard. I'd like for you to mow the yard again. You didn't do a good job. I like asked you to weed eat the edges of the yard. You didn't get all the edges the way I said. I'd like for you to clean the kitchen. You didn't clean the kitchen to my standards. So we say, oh, I'm in such hardship. Hardship sometimes are things that have been asked of us by the Lord. They're hard. They're hardship because they're hard. They're not, they're not, if they weren't hard, it would not be hardship. <laughs> Think of it, this is hard. That's the point. Sometimes our children suffer because of decisions they make. And we're the ones who, because we love them, we discipline them. We punish them. Not because we don't love them, because we do love them. Why? Because the only way for a young man to become a man that is a respectable citizen, man of God, is for him to have a father that loves him to that point. A mother that loves him enough not to let him get away with things, but to love him enough to draw the boundaries to say, you're no better than the son of God. You're going to learn obedience through suffering. You ought to hang that as a motto on the doorway of your house. Obedience through suffering. Okay. But once made perfect, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who believe in him. The reason we are here today is not because we're so good. It's because we put our faith in Christ because of what he endured. Okay. Matthew 4. Okay, I hope you guys get your mind around this. I am teaching you things today that, that I have learned more than things today that I have studied. Um, Matthew chapter 4, you have the temptations of Christ. And all the way down through the temptations, you have uh, verse 2. 
the uh, devil comes when he's hungry and says, if you're the son of man, tell those stones to become bread. In verse 4, it is written, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. In verse 5, a devil takes him to a high place and says, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down because it's written. And he quotes from Psalm, I think it's 91. Jesus in verse 7 answers, it's also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil takes him to a very high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world. And he says in verse 9, all this I'm going to give you if you'll just bow down and worship me. And Jesus says, away from me, Satan, for it's written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. At that point, the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Do you realize that Jesus, when he was fighting temptation, he was putting his trust beyond his own hunger and his immediate discomfort, putting his trust in God, saying, I don't know where deliverance is going to come from, but I know if my father in heaven loved me enough to have me in this situation, he is going to bring deliverance from a place that I may not even be aware of in this moment. Do you know why I tell you that? Because I have read Deuteronomy 6 and Deuteronomy 8 where Jesus was quoting from. And I want to show you this. And this is where the beginning of our string is going to be attached. And we're going to draw it all the way through the life of Christ, through the life of the Apostle Paul. And then we're going to bring it all the way through to our life today. Go to Deuteronomy 8, please. I'm going to show you where Jesus was quoting. Bishop, is it okay if we just jump all the way through the Bible? We're going to, we're going to go through every book of the Bible. Before we're done, okay. In Deuteronomy 8, you guys understand that, that God was getting his people ready to do the most uh, uh, crazy thing. And they were going to cross over the Jordan and they were going to move into the promised land. In Numbers 21, a new generation began to arise. A generation who said, we're going to trust the Lord. We're going to be a little different from our parents. Our parents did not trust the Lord to cross over. And in Numbers 21, you, you see this movement happening where the new generation rises up. Some of the old generation is yet to die off. Those who came out of Egypt, and you have, uh, the, you have the, the new generation coming up. And so what happens in Deuteronomy is you have speeches from the Lord that are given to, the, to, to uh, from Moses, given to the people of Israel. And so what happens is in Deuteronomy 8, Moses is getting them spiritually ready to live in the promised land. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8. And this is where Jesus takes one of his quotes from. And this has to do with how God uses suffering and why, how, how he shapes us the way he wants us to be, God, God's people. Be careful to follow every command I've given you today so that you may live and increase and enter and possess the land that the Lord promised on oath to your forefathers. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the desert these 40 years to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether you would, whether or not you would keep his commands. You see, the reason God led them was to humble them and test them. He's talking to people who have been, in, at least in Joshua's case, in the wilderness 40 years. 40 years. Everybody likes to say, you know what I want to hear from the Lord when I, when I get up there in eternity? I want to hear, what are the words? Well done. Good and faithful servant. Very few people read the rest of that parable. After a long time, the master returned. Faithfulness does not impress God for a moment. Faithfulness to God has to be for the lifetime. 
The reason he, I, the Lord led you in these wilderness these 40 years was to humble you. Sometimes we can pretend humility. There are other times where we are humbled. He led you there to humble you and to test you in order to know what was in your heart. The only way you know what is in you is when you get squeezed. You lay three sponges up here on this table. You don't know what's in them until you squeeze them. I see a room full of adults, followers of Jesus Christ. But the only way we're going to find out what's really in you is not how beautiful you sing when the, when, when, the, when the song's up here. It's what comes out when you're squeezed at the office. I'm going to throw one more out. Don't hate me for it. It's what happens whenever we are dealing with those curtain crawlers one more time. When we're looking at the kids thinking, I have given birth to demons. <laughs> what happens is this. We find out in the context of life what is in our hearts. God loves each one of us enough to use the circumstances of each one of your lives. However crummy you may think it is, be careful. God is at work. Be careful to look beyond what is going on in front of you so that you can see that God is working in your life to humble you and to test you to know what is in your heart. Now, this is good because this is not a big game. This is not a church game. It's not a, this is one of those things where I just ask myself solemnly, do I believe that God loves me so much that he's at work in my life? When Jesus was tempted, do you know where he quoted from? He quoted from Deuteronomy 8. I'm going to read verse 3. The Lord humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's where Jesus quoted from. But understand the context here, and this is, why, this is why I said a moment ago what I said about Jesus. He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Why did the Lord bring them, why did the Lord cause them to hunger when he could have, could just provided what was needed? Because he was humbling them, because he was testing them to know what was in their heart. But he said, he humbled you, causing you to hunger, a specific example, and and then he provided the relief for the hunger through manna. But you had never seen manna. Your parents had never seen manna. 
You had no idea how the Lord was going to meet this incredible need, this moment of suffering called hunger. And he said the reason he did was so that he could provide a, a, an answer, a means to resolve the situation. The reason God brought them into suffering was so that he could provide relief from a place that they had never known. Sometimes I have watched in my own life where God has brought me to a place where he has said, I'm asking you to rely on me, and I think this is too much, it's too hard, and here I am suffering, I'm in hardship, and I feel like, and I feel humbled because I don't have the answer. And someone asks, well, how's the Lord going to provide now? I don't know. I'm hungry just like you. And then suddenly, in a way that I don't understand, the Lord Provides manna. And manna is called, what is it? That's what it means in the Hebrew. What is it? I'm not talking about the meal you ate last night. And, and, and men, don't say this whenever your wife prepares something wonderful or if, you're, if your husband is the cook. I know several guys who are the chef. Don't look at what's on the table and say, manna again? <laughs> Just means, what is it? Here's my point. When Jesus said, that, that God, we, we must, that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. What he was saying was, I don't know how the Lord is going to bring deliverance, but I know he is going to bring deliverance. Does this make sense? And then he says in verse 4, Your clothes did not wear out, and your feet did not swell during these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. Just like we discipline our children, God brings discipline in our own lives. You know, I've noticed something since I'm a, I'm a parent today. I can talk about this because I'm an imperfect parent. That's why my kids aren't here because I, I didn't want them to say amen at this point in the message. <laughs> I'm an imperfect parent. I've noticed in parents an inclination to almost want to ask children questions. People who have been on the planet nine years, we're asking them what they want to eat. And I'm not sure where that comes from. Maybe it's lack of confidence. Maybe it's, uh, I, 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 don't, I really don't know. I'm not here to give a parenting seminar. But here's what I know about God. God comes along and he doesn't ask us a lot of questions. Know then in your heart as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And here's a thought as we begin this string all the way through. We start with Jesus where it says he learned obedience from what was suffered. We hear him quoting from Deuteronomy 8 when he's under great temptation and he, would, he had the ability to turn the stones to bread. He said, no, because man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Well, I was aware that Jesus was present in Deuteronomy 8. And he knew that he had the ability to turn the stone to bread, but he, no, I'm not going to do this. Why? Because it's a matter of temptation, and I'm going I'm to allow God to work his way out. And then he said that God disciplines us intimately like a son. Jump forward into Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12, this, I know that some of you thought, oh, well, that's, we're going to Hebrews 12 next. In Hebrews 12, there is a uh, verse number 7. Endure hardship as discipline. 
God is treating you as sons. If you were to underline this, what I would say to each one of you that I don't know, each man in this room, each woman in this room is this. If you just try to get your mind around this, this thought, I'm going to endure hardship as discipline. God is treating me as his child. I'm going to endure hardship as discipline. God is treating me as his child. I'm going to endure hardship as discipline. But here's what happens. At least I've seen it in my own life. I get annoyed when I'm being disciplined. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his son. For what son is not disciplined by his father, he asks. And if you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Here's what I'm trying to suggest to you. I was asked earlier uh, a couple weeks ago, hey, Dan, could you come teach a group of pastors on spiritual formation? I said, well, what do you normally do? They said, well, we normally teach them about prayer and Bible study and meditation, fasting, all of which uh, simplicity of living and all these sorts of things. I said, but what? I said, those are all wonderful things. I said, and did Jesus pray? Of course Jesus was uh, uh, prayed. He prayed uh, all night uh, on many occasions. He was just a man of prayer. He, he had a connection with his father, and he prayed about all things. What about studying the Word of God? Well, well of course, and there's, no, there's great value in studying the Word of God, knowing the Word of God. In fact, if you don't know the Word of God, then how are you going to live out the Word of God? Because Jesus said, a, a man who hears Here's my words and built his life on it. It's like a wise man who, when the storms, who, who, who heard the words of God and built his life on it. When the storms came, that the house stood. The, 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 but, but whether you're a wise builder, Jesus says, or a foolish builder, whether you hear my words and you live obedient to them, or whether you hear my words and you don't, the storms are still going to come. The storms are still going to come. The question is. Are you going to be a wise builder and say, I'm going to listen to the words of God, or are you not going to be? He says here, you're illegitimate children. And he says, he says, you're not illegitimate children. God is going to take suffering, and he's going to use suffering in your life because he loves you. It's either that or we've disconnected God's at work over here, and I'm at work over here doing my spiritual disciplines. I'm praying, and I'm fasting, and I'm seeking God, and God is thinking, oh, my word. I have just, I have disciplined this man. I have disciplined this woman, and they are, they're not really seeking me. They're seeking a way out. Then he says in verse 9, Moreover, we've all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of our spirits and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Does the church talk to you? No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Remember when we started out in Hebrews chapter 5 where it said Jesus learned obedience? The truth is we are trained by God through the hardship and through suffering in our lives. What's happening here is, and what the message I want you to leave with is, that is why when we read in the Bible, we can rejoice in suffering. 
when you read these sort of things, it's because you know that God is at work in your life. I'm going to make uh, one passage for you to have some application. Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8. Apostle Paul is writing here back to the church in Corinth, and he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardship we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. This is the Apostle Paul now. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. I want you to re read this again with me. In the context of God allowing things to happen in our lives, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under such great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, that we despaired even of life. He was depressed. He did not believe that he, he had the desire to live, nor did he think he was going to live beyond this moment. And yet, he said, but this happened that we might rely, not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. And this is the message today. So much that happens in our lives, whether it's as a congregation, as a leadership, or whether it's individually in our lives, it happens for this reason, teaching us, do not rely on yourself ultimately, but rely on God, who has you where you are to discipline you. I don't have answers beyond that for you. Well, why did this happen? Why did he do this to me? Why did she say that? I don't have those kind of answers. But I have read the Bible and believe that God is at work in your life. That's how much he loves you. Amen? One more passage, James chapter 1. This message then is, is all yours. I didn't want to read James first because it, it, uh, I wanted it in the context of all the other things that we have uh, looked at here. James chapter 1, verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you, whenever you face trials of many kinds, <laughs> because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom as you're going through this hardship, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. The only way to maturity is through suffering. If you are in hardship or suffering in the moment or whenever it happens, persevere, be patient. Why? Because God is leading you someplace. And our objective in life ought to be from Psalm 100, from the song that we sang this morning, I found a, a love greater than life itself. Our, if our mind is on him, then we are saying, I'm living for an audience of one. My objective in life is to please him, not the bishop, not the elders, not my wife, and not my husband, not my children, and not my family, nor my friends. My objective in life is to please him. And when this happens, we care if he applauds us or not. You've probably heard the story, Bishop's probably told the story about the world-class pianist who was invited to this great concert hall, seats a thousand people. The, the anticipation was high, uh, the, the, uh, and the, the pianist was anxious, 
as, as the crowds begin to flood in and every seat in the place was full. Well, the pianist, of course, played brilliantly. Just he, he, he just mesmerized each one of the 1,000 people. When he was done, he stood to the applause of everybody, and everybody jumped to their feet. He, him, he, he bowed to the, to the people, and he left behind and went behind stage. But the crowd wouldn't stop applauding. And one of the stagehands said, said, Sir, you need to get back out there and play again. They're applauding for you. They want you to come back. You, you're tremendous. He said, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm not going back out. You have to. Everyone is standing on their feet. The man said, not everyone. He said, what are you talking about? He said, there's an old man in the balcony right in the middle. He's still sitting. And this guy, stagehand said, you must be nuts. Everybody's applauding you. You have to go out. And the pianist said, you don't understand. He is my teacher. You can have the applause of everybody, but until we get the lesson we have learned today that suffering and hardship really is used by God to train us, then we may need to learn the lesson that Stephen learned. In Acts chapter 7, Stephen was a man who, who lived his life to please the Lord. And you remember the final sermon that he preached? He preached and the people hated him. They did not love him. There was no one applauding him. In fact, the Bible said they, he, he called them stiff-necked and it says they gnashed their teeth and they were so angry with him. And they began to stone him. And here's the words that, Jesus, that, that Stephen says in, in Acts chapter 7. When they heard this, they, they were furious. They gnashed their teeth at him. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and the glory of God. And Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. In all of Scripture, you never hear of Jesus standing. He's always sitting. He's at the right hand of the Father sitting. But in this instance, in this instance, he was watching one of his suffer. He stood up, leaned over the balcony of heaven. And when Stephen looked up, he said, I see heaven opened up. And while no one else is applauding, I see Jesus standing. So I leave you with this. Live your life to make Jesus stand. Hallelujah. Let's all stand to our feet, please, and bow your heads. Praise the name of the Lord.